Where am I going? What is the purpose of my life? Will I ever discover who I am? Welcome to Sit at My Table. Hey, what's up, y'all? Hello, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Is, uh, let's see, I got Merritt on here. Is Emily on here? Yes. How's hi. it going? Thank you. Thanks for coming on. I know it's a little tricky. I sent everyone like three links because I, <laughs> I couldn't get my phone connected, but we're all good. We're here now. So this is fun. This is cool. Um, all right. So uh, if everyone wants to introduce themselves, Merritt, you've been on before, but if you want to start and just kind of update everyone, and then Emily, you can go after her, just kind of introduce everyone to who we are and what we're doing here. Okay. I'm Merritt Carvajal. I am the donor of Emily Herrera. I was her kidney donor on February the 27th of this year, 2020. Hi, I'm Emily Herrera. I'm the kidney recipient to Merrick Carbajal. Um, on the same date that she, she <laughs> said. All right. So I've been looking forward to this uh, just because it's not every day you get to talk with people who have done something this, you know, I don't know. I It's far out there, but it's far out there in a good way. You know, it's like, it's pretty crazy, but it's not crazy in like a negative in negative connotation. So it's pretty exciting to have you guys on. Um, Emily, if you want to start, uh, let's just kind of get into a little of your backstory and what is it? So you guys just talked about, you know, the kidney donation. So the listeners are going to be kind of like kidney donation. What is this? So if you can just kind of tell a little of your backstory, share a little bit about what happened, what caused the need for the kidney and that sort of thing. Yeah, okay, so um, when, I don't even remember when this all started, Um, I'm just going to say when I was really young, I was not growing like the other kids, I was really, really small, and the doctor said, don't worry about it, Um, if she's not at like a certain weight or at a certain height by like the time she's 15, 16, then we'll start worrying about it. They started recommending me to like dietitians, um, different pediatricians, and they all said different things. They all said I had anemia, I had bulimia, and my parents said that that, that wasn't yeah. possible. Then we went to a gastrologist, and he did a test, and my blood work came back with my creatinine super elevated which creatinine is a chemical found in different foods to help preserve Mm -hmm. foods. And that is a common sign in kidney failure. So like that day, like we just kind of like contemplated what to do next. And then they recommended me to my not current doctor because he's just kind of supervising everything. But like he like kind of took control of the entire operation. And then we started looking for donors and like, it was a lot of, before I started dialysis, I had 
to get a port. So that was my first hospital visit, I'd mm. say, where I received my dialysis port. And then I began dialysis for about a year, year and a half, maybe. And then after that, it was just the, our hopes and prayers. I guess. Right. So, and then Marriott, that's where, so you were on dialysis for, you said about a year. And then how did you guys end up connecting? And either one of you can, if Emily, if you want to say like, how did you start broadcasting that you were in need of this? You know, was there a group or was there some sort of movement or something that, you know, how, how did you start putting it out there that you need a kidney? Well, at first I was really private about it, but like eventually I had to like vocalize it a little bit because my teachers were like, you're missing class a lot. You're not a bad student. Like we need to know what's going on. So I had to tell my teachers and then I'm in a program at my school that because I'm a theater major. So they were like, hey, you're missing a lot of like rehearsals and like classes are really important. And I was like, yeah, it's because this and this is happening. And they were like, oh, my God. So, like, a lot of my friends started to become aware. Mm-hmm. And then parents just, like, kind of took the wheel on that. And they made a Facebook page called A Kidney for Emily, which is how they began to, like, track the process of, like, me getting a kidney. So, like, every person that... um either signed up to become a donor or went through the process was on there or just anybody that wanted to like keep track of how I was doing or like just like send prayers or anything and like now since I have the kidney it's just been like oh this is Emily's like progress now like she's had blood work today but she's doing super great um her ring ceremony was in march but she's still good right okay and so Merritt, that's when you come onto the story so how did you find out about this young girl needing a kidney where where did that where did you stumble across that information okay it was shared with one of my um old managers in chile she was one of my very favorite and first managers when I started working in Chili's in Texas, Danette Lofton. Um, And she shared it and said, if anybody's O positive, would you be so kind to fill out the form? This was December the 6th. And I said, sure, I would. I'm O positive. And she said, well, would you fill out the form? I went in, immediately filled it out. I struggled with it. I had to exit about eight times because I needed Emily's date of birth, which I did not know. I needed Emily's last name. I did not know. And I was trying to message Danette at the same time to get the correct information because I was going to do it for Emily, not for anybody else because I saw the post. Um, And I immediately filled it out. And they asked you quite a few questions. I filled it out on a Tuesday on Thursday the Jackson Memorial Hospital called me and had some questions and we did um, like a review of medicine panel, my health history. And I immediately started doing lab work and urine uh, testing to see if I would be a match for her. Um, 
But besides that, like I remember it clear as day. And and the weird part is, is when I signed up and I filled out that form, I knew in my heart that I would be her kidney donor. Wow. Yeah. I just had that feeling. So uh, once you got past that part and you filled out the forms and everything, did you guys actually meet before the surgeries took place? Uh, so I – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's it. That was, that was a question. <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, had to do labs, several different labs. I had to do uh, bl- uh, blood pressure and pulse for two weeks, um, three different times a day. And I went Super Bowl weekend. I flew to Miami. I had to go do a one-day workup at Jackson Memorial. Um, I did not know Emily or her family. But I basically messaged them and told them, hey, I need you to pick me up at the airport. I'm coming to stay with you. I need you to take me to this appointment. And y'all are my family. I met Emily that night. We went to eat at her favorite restaurant. And I don't know the name of it. It starts with a B. So, Emily, you can tell us what it is. Yeah. Um, we picked her up. And at first, like, I was I was super scared. I was super nervous. and Because my parents had told me, okay. So, they literally told me the day of. That we were picking up Mary. They told me, okay, we're meeting this lady. We're picking her up at the airport. There's a possibility that she could be your kidney donor. And I was like, there was like everything was going on in my head. And like, there was so many things I had planned for the rest of this year. And I was just like, okay, let's do it. So then we picked her up and the car right there was just like, kind of silent because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure whether or not to thank her. I wasn't sure whether to just hug her or to start crying. But we got to the restaurant and it, the restaurant's called Bukita Beppo. Um, they had the best pasta. Um, and like from then on, we just started talking. Like we took a bunch of pictures. So yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Wow, so... so- Go I was ahead, there man. for the one-day wake-up, work-up, and then I left literally the very next day. Um, I came back home. They told us it would be three weeks before we would find out inf- any information. They called me um, the following Thursday to basically schedule a date for the surgery. Um, it was a three-week process for me to be in Miami. They wanted to go a week early to do cross-match and final uh, checks for surgery and clearances. Then you have to go two weeks after your surgery for a follow-up date before you can actually come home. Um, I I don't have any family in Miami. So literally I lived with Emily's family, her grandma, her grandparents, because Emily was in the hospital a lot longer than me. Um, Right. But immediately they were my family immediately. Wow. That's, that's so awesome that, uh, so one thing I've been wanting to ask uh, Emily how how did you work through the process in your mind? Like, was it hard for you to accept that you were going to have to depend on someone else to give something like an organ? Like, I mean, I know it, in our minds, that seems like such a huge thing to ask from someone. Uh, you know, how did you work through that realization that you were going to have to ask this person or allow this person to do this for you? Was that a difficult thing? Well, it's like you said, at first, like, it is difficult to accept that 
you're 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 basically putting your life in somebody else's hands. So like everyone in my family got tested, nobody matched. And like I was hoping that it would be somebody in my family cuz I knew them. But then like Merit just came mm-hmm. out of the blue with her candid attitude and I was like, "All right. She seemed pretty cool." So like Throughout the, the entire process, a lot of things helped me. Like, everyone everyone I know gave me a coloring book. So, I would color. I would read. My play, which I started writing at the beginning of this, which is how I kind of coped. Writing, writing a lot helped. Right. Um, so... It, encountering something like this at such a young age because you're how old are you 17 is that right yeah. 17 so you're a 17 and you've already come face to face with something that the majority of adults don't even think about until old age you know facing this kind of uh i don't know I mean, you were looking, what kind of, I guess what I'm getting at is what kind of expectancy for life did you have when you found out you needed a kidney? Did they give you like a certain amount of time um, that, you know, that you had before you could potentially, it could become fatal? uh, Or how was that kind of angle for it? I mean, the only thing that they told me that was like severe that was we needed to be worried about was the catheter the port that they put in there was a certain point where I could have it up to like six months and that needed to be taken out because it could get infected and that could lead to serious infection throughout the body but for some reason it went past the six months and my dialysis went super well so just thank God that that was working out. Yeah, that's, that's good. Did, uh, so, um, once the surgery was completed, uh, you said that she was in the hospital a little longer, Merritt. Um, have you had any complications or anything afterwards? Has it been pretty smooth sailing on your end? Are you asking me or Emily? I'm sorry. Merit, yeah, <laughs> I'm asking you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, after I I had surgery on Thursday morning, I was out of the hospital on Saturday morning. It was a very quick turnaround. I had absolutely no issues. I came home from Miami. Um, that's when the coronavirus actually started getting really like really crazy. Um, so I was obviously already quarantined, um, and I was I actually had no problems at all until about. I want to say three or four weeks ago, I got um, an abscess in the sutures uh, in my incision. So I've had a little problem with that. But honestly, I mean, if something is always so perfect, then it kind of gives you, um, I guess, like a weird sense that, you know, (laughs) that something is wrong. I I mean, that's just me in my life because nothing is ever perfect for me. Um, The struggles is what obviously gives you some... I guess, real life feelings. Uh, but I've been really, really good. My kidney function's really good. I, I don't have any issues. Uh, people tell me you're going to have back pain. You're going to have all this. 
but I chose not to listen to everybody else and I'm one with my heart and I, I'm, I'm doing really, really well. I'm great. Yeah, that's, that's good. So, um, Emily, you are in the hospital for a little longer after you received the kidney and you know, the, the surgery was completed kind of describe what transpired after that, uh, how your life kind of progressed from the hospital, getting back to normal, all that sort of stuff. I mean, <laughs> after, after we left the hospital, it was, it was kind of surreal. Cause I, I was sore, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I got to go home knowing, okay, I'm going to have blood work every week. That's, that's fine. I can live with that. But I can eat anything I want. Like before the transplant, I had a, a diet, a super strict diet. I couldn't eat anything with dairy. I couldn't have anything with potassium. Like super strict. Yeah. So I got to go home. I had my load of pizza. <laughs> I had my load of pasta. And then my parents would be like, what, what else do you want? What else do you want? And I'm like, nothing. I'm good. Just like, and then after that, like we went to do blood work and my blood work came back fine for a few weeks. And then just one week I, something came back abnormal and they're like, nope, you got to go back to the hospital. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I, I just couldn't believe that I was going back to the hospital so early already. So then they were like, yeah, you have um, a urinary tract infection. And I'm like, okay, but you couldn't have, like, told me this over the phone? Right. So it was so, kind of a spook. It scared you a little bit. It was, I was terrified. Because, of course, they, they admitted me into the hospital. They had to go through IVs. Every doctor was like, nope, they're going to have to put a Foley. And my parents were like, a Foley for what? Because the last time she had a Foley, she was super uncomfortable. And like that, just hearing the word Foley gives me a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. So you go into the hospital, they tell you have a urinary tract infection. What, uh, what kind of, how did it play out from there? After that, um, one of the doctors, one of my main doctors came in and they were like, nope, she doesn't need a Foley. Everybody just calm down. She just needs to keep drinking her water. Maybe we can take her off to fluids. If we get her off to fluids, maybe she can go home. So then after that, like I drank so many gallons of water. (laughs) And just thank thank God we got to go home because, like, there's nothing like being away from your house and your home and your family that you're just like, I, w- I want to be back where I belong. Yeah, that's uh, I would say that's tough. I mean, that, that's tough for anyone uh, at any level of life. And then given where you were, you know, you're just now starting to figure this whole life thing out, you know, and then you've got this gigantic hurdle to overcome like uh i know you described just now that you had a little fear uh well you uh, you know a lot of fear uh, to the verge of a panic attack but outside of that moment through this whole thing uh how how did you handle these emotions that you know this 
you know, having to consider things uh, like you're going to have to think about death. You're thinking about what we talked about taking on uh, an organ from someone else. You're having to cope with these feelings. I'm sure that, and forgive me if I'm going too much, I don't want to trigger you or anything like that, but you know, these feelings of powerlessness and stuff, how did you figure, how did you learn to cope with those emotions? Cause those are, those are big challenges for people every day. And then, you know, in your situation, you know, you really had to face things that adults put off for a long time and you really had to come to grips with it. So, you know, what were the emotional challenges and how did you kind of face those and deal with them? I mean, most of the time I was just, I, I got really quiet and that's when my parents knew like, Hey, what's up? And they'd ask me. And at first I didn't say anything, but then I'd like, I'd talk to them and I don't know. I just, mostly I just, I was sad most of the time. It was either, it was like, I had two moods. I was really, really happy or really, really sad. And then like, I don't know, during this time, just like, most of my family just kind of fell back on religion. I know this sounds super corny, but like our the church we go to was like there for us. Like we were super new to the church, but they were like, "Hey, if you need anything, we got you." Like we're always going to be there for you. They were always sending us messages on Facebook, on Instagram, and like if I miss a Sabbath, everyone freaked out. So that just kind of like helped a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I never really thought about death. <laughs> I just kind of like hoped that something would happen. Right. Um, and it did, right? <laughs> it, it came through. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we're able to sit here and have this conversation in the way that we did. Uh, Merritt, now I want to kind of ask you, upon doing this action, and I know we kind of hit on this a little bit in our last podcast, but given that we you know, are doing one specifically about this event, uh, what, you know, what kind of uh, lesson or what kind of emotional – I feel that when you give, and we talked about this before, I feel that when you give, it actually – heals you in a lot of ways where a lot of people think to heal you have to take or you know kind of grab when you when you love others selflessly it it brings healing it's like was there anything that you know that you that came to the forefront that you were able to work through or that this kind of became representative or some sort of emotional metaphor that you were able to grow in light of like this action honestly i think it's it was my sense of duty to help um it was my calling, maybe being because I'm, I'm a mom of my, my own daughter. Um, but you know that I am a giver and you are as well. And I mean, it could be something so small or it could be something big. It doesn't have to be a kidney donation, obviously. Um, but when it's in your heart and you feel like you do need to give, um, it it does bring so much joy to you. It could be something small. I'm really good about remembering your favorite color or your favorite drink. That's something that I'm known for. I know it's super silly, but that's there. Um, but I, I do remember those things. Um, so I was really 
honestly thinking that you, you know like when i when i did sign up for any for her co- for her paperwork i knew in my heart that i would be her donor it was like I don't know if it was fate or if it was that feeling. I just had that in there. And I was an altruistic donor. That's what it's called when you don't know your recipient. I did meet her one time before, and obviously she's my family now. Um, but it's about empowering, impacting, you know, spreading positivity, helping others, donating blood, whatever it is that you want to do to help others. But, I mean, just just do it. I, I, I challenge anybody to go help somebody every day or at least three times a week and see how you feel in the end. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Like, honestly, uh, there's a, uh, a math, uh, a sort of like math equation called a non-zero sum game. And essentially it's, it's the mathematic equivalent of selfless giving. And it basically states that, if everyone acts in a manner that is beneficial to those around them, then everyone constantly benefits. And, you know, I I think that that truth is starting to catch on, but there's always just this temptation to buy into fear, you know, and I know Emily, for you, there was a lot of fear that had to be overcome. Was there a specific, uh, you know, was there a specific art form or scripture or something like that, that you kind of went to that became, the focal point whenever you were afraid that you, you went to that place or you went to that picture or that whatever it might be. Was there something that specific that you used to get through that tough time? I mean, there's a specific saying that's like near and dear to my heart that we, we went into Hobby Lobby one day, me and my mom, this was like right after I got out of the hospital for the first time. So it was a big, big sign that it's still hung up in my room. It says, although she be but little, she is fierce. So that, that saying, like, I'm 4'11". I'm, I'm a shorty and I'm proud of it. (laughs) Like, I'm small. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, she look eight. And I'm like, no, I'm 17, honey. (laughs) So that, uh, that phrase she is small, but she is fierce. What, what, uh, what new meaning has fierce taken on to you now that you've went through this and are overcoming and have overcome this obstacle? What, what does that mean to you now going forward? This, that meaning, I mean, it's not that this, this phrase doesn't have any more meaning to me anymore. I guess it's just, I take it on like a new phrase. Like, like, you know how butterflies have, like, a metamorphosis, kind of? Right. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of, like, adopted, like, um, well-behaved, wo- well-behaved women don't make history. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, that means, like, if you had a normal story, no one's going to hear about you. No one's going to care. For me, right. I didn't have a normal story. So... And my dad's always told me, you're going to do great things one day. So that's just what it is. So I know, I know you, you said you were a theater major and you've written a play about your experience. Uh, do you see yourself 
in that kind of line of work? Is that something that you dream about or what's uh you know, I mean, you're 17, which means you're probably getting ready to graduate. I could be wrong. Um, but what do you like? What do you see yourself going out? What do you want to pursue? I mean, I I'm with your dad, like anyone who has taken this kind of challenge on and has the kind of attitude and optimism that you do. I mean, you're going to do great things because you know, our pain and the things we overcome become the medicine for our future selves. You know, it's, it's the very thing that teaches us. It's like the cocoon is what gives the butterfly the opportunity to become the butterfly. The shell around the chick uh, in the egg is what gives the opportunity for the chick to liberate itself. And this has been your shell, your cocoon. And it gave you the opportunity to break through and find this liberation. Uh, what, uh, what do you see yourself doing? Well, you are correct. I'm a junior. I'm at the end of my junior year. Um, seniors coming up and everyone's been asking me, what do you plan on doing for college? You know, you want to study? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I definitely know I, I love theater with all my heart, even if it's not being on stage, even if it's not playwriting, but it is a great passion of mine, but I also enjoy helping others. So I started, I actually started job researching today and I found a job that includes like um, the study of artificial organs, which I'm, I can't remember the actual name of it right now, but like that sounds like something that, well, one, I technically have personal experience. Right. And two, I could like, benefit towards and helping other people so i i'm not sure what i want to do right which which is a very fair answer i know it's hard to have a young person on and not ask them that question but it's rare that you can really know you know exactly what you want to do and i'm sure that with this experience a, a part of you is ready to just practice you know being grateful that you have this opportunity like you were describing getting to eat food these new foods and stuff like that what's a what's your favorite food that uh what's something you weren't able to eat before but now you can eat and you're it's just like the best food to you, your favorite uh do you want a list <laughs> go ahead yeah give us your top three how about that um tostino's pizza rolls and anything that's made of potatoes <laughs> Don't forget yes. your pretzel M&M's. Oh, yes. Pretzel M&M's. <laughs> yes, I'm with you on that. You sound like you eat pretty much the exact same thing as me because uh, anything potatoes and pretzel M&M's. And I actually just had uh, pizza rolls not too long ago myself. So I'm with you on that. That's hilarious. Um, so, Merritt, uh, you're, you've done this thing. Uh what uh I, you're the one who kind of got me in tune with this idea that hey there are people out there that need this there are people out there um and you're proof that it's possible that it's not as uh extravagant or uh you know scary as uh it may seem to us initially not to say that it's light uh but you know what's a what, where do you kind of see yourself taking this as an advocate for a kidney donation? Do you have any uh, thing in mind? Is there a, you know, a project you're working on? I know you're always up to something. So, Well, I mean, I need to learn my 
my information. I need to study up on my own um, information that I need to learn. But yes, I definitely want to become a huge advocate. I want to use our story uh, to help others, to help others that don't know how to speak up for themselves, or they are ashamed or in fear, kind of like Emily didn't, they didn't want to go public with it. But once they went public, it was a reward in the end for them. Um, And I think now with this uh, pandemic that we've just been through, literally more now than ever, we need to like grow the organ donation and blood uh, donation because you know, this, this is in our life right now. A lot of people haven't experienced what we're experiencing right now. And it's been really crazy. And to think about all these little kids or individuals or adults that are out here, you know, trying to get an organ to live, but they can't because you can't go out for testing or you, you, you know, you've been quarantined. So I think it's very important to obviously lighten the awareness of what is going on and how you can help others and how can we get out and show our story and it be successful and also tell the trial and errors that we've been through. You know, Emily got out of the hospital and she thought she was going to be okay, but then got readmitted because she had a UTI. I had, you know, uh, an abscess after. So there's, you know, like it's not all rainbows and sparkles and, you know, unicorns. It's also, you know, a little bit of blood, sweat and tear crying here and a little bit of fear and a lot of fear going to the ER um, during, you know, this pandemic was very scary for me. I felt very alone. It was a ghost town. So it was, it was, it was scary, Mm -hmm. but I think honestly, you know, lightening that and, you know, telling people not to give up, always believe, you know, it's easier to give up on things than to push really hard for things that you really want or you need. So I, That's true. I really want to use our story, you know, and, and grow with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, there are thousands of people waiting for that very thing that, and I mean, I can only imagine I, I hear your story and automatically I was like, Oh, I want to have this on the podcast because not only do I want to promote this type of behavior, you know, I I'm inspired by, it. I mean, I'm truly inspired by a young girl who overcame this, who faced this thing and is learning how to thrive and do this. And then someone that I worked with, a former coworker now, you know, taking the action to donate something, doing something that's so selfless. It's, you know, it's a, it's a relief to see that taking place in the world. And like you said, you know, it really is a beacon um, in these times because we're so tempted to fall back on fear and we're so tempted to allow fear to determine our actions. And fear is a liar. You know, there, there are times when, Uh, we feel that our fear is speaking to us what we want, but what we truly want is behind, behind the fear, behind the anxiety. And uh, if we listen to that voice and it's going to keep us from the blessings and uh, the, you know, the abundant life that we can all experience and seeing this is just great. And I really hope that the story gets promoted and that it gets put out there and more people see that, Hey, this is something you can do. Uh, if you feel, you know, if you feel led to it, like you said, you just kind of knew if you're one of those people, you know, it more power to you. Cause look at, look at the scenario. It's a beautiful thing. You got to experience this awesome gift. Emily. Now, I mean, I've read through your play, like you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of life ahead of you. 
who knows what we're going to get to see from you going forward. You know, it's, uh, it's exciting and it's fun. So uh, last thing I want to touch on Emily, I want to know what, what do you have to say to someone else who is in the predicament that you are in, who's experiencing this, who hasn't yet come out on the other side? Uh, What do you have to say to them? What's your message? Well, first off, don't be scared to open up to those that you love. Because in the end, they're, they're going to be the only ones there for you. Like, you can have as many friends as you want, but they're never going to truly understand what you're going through. Like, your family is going to try and understand, but they're the only ones that know you and are going to be able to comfort you in ways that friends cannot. And just trust that things are going to get better. And... Um, find something that distracts you, takes you away from your reality that is right now. Yeah, that's, uh, I would say that thinking, I mean, you're spending all that time in a hospital, you're spending all that time around this stuff. And there's, there's always something there to remind you of the struggle. And it's important to have something to remind you of the hope. And to remind you of the courage and to remind you of the, the trust that you're, you know, that you that you need to make it through this time. So, uh, and Merritt, uh, obviously, we want to get from you. What do you have to say to the person considering uh, giving organ donation, especially kidney donation? Uh, what's your message to them? I would say let the fear go. Do it with your, you know, your heart and just putting your best foot forward. Um, don't listen to other people's opinions. Uh, reach out to another donate don- a donor. Um, maybe ask them some questions if you have any, you know, things that you don't know how to overcome or a little bit of fear here and there. Um, but just know in your heart, honestly, I didn't only help Emily. And, and this is a huge reward. When we took Emily off of the donor list, somebody else was able to, you know, hopefully find a a donor as well. So you just have to realize that you're not only helping the donor that you're, you're working with, then you're actually helping somebody else because you're removing the donor off the list. Um, But I'm the person that doesn't overanalyze. Everybody's a little bit different, but the biggest thing with me was everybody else and their doubts and their fears were asking me questions. And that kind of gave me a little bit of fear, but then I just blocked it out. And I said, I don't need to listen to these people. Um, I know what I want to do. I know the right thing to do and I know what I'm going to do. So I just kept that positive motivation, but I also have a really good group of girls and have a good little love tribe. And we have the Emily's army too. Um, So not only do they support Emily, they, you know, are huge supporters of me and I have gained a whole new sense of family and friendships. In the yeah, that is, that is awesome. I mean, not only have you gained a second family, but I mean, whenever we go through tough times and we fall back on those people that care about us and love us, it strengthens our relationships there. It empowers us individually when we overcome obstacles in our life. Uh, when we break out of that cocoon, you know, when we uh, break through the shell, it empowers us. And when you overcome one thing, it strengthens you to know, hey, you know, I can overcome whatever comes my way. And I know that I've spent the last 40 minutes talking to two ladies who 
100% know that and are going to do great things. I mean, this has been awesome coming on the show. I, uh, Emily, is there do you have a place where people can read your play that you wrote or have you chosen to kind of keep that private for now? I actually don't have a place, um, but I am willing to share it. Um, there's my email where people can reach me at, which is Emily Herrera 098 at gmail.com. I am more than willing to share it with anyone that wants to read it. Um, I'm really trying to like get publicity out there because I was supposed to go to um, States this year, but unfortunately, because of coronavirus, it got canceled. Mm. All right. And uh, you also have, there's the, do you have a Facebook page or is it a Facebook group, the Emily's Army? And is that more of like a close friends and family or is that something that people can access as well? That's anyone that wants to join. It's a You actually don't have to join to see it. You can actually see it just as a as a person it's not a private group okay and how can uh, how can they find that it's on facebook so it's uh okay a kidney it's- for emily a kidney for emily you said uh-huh yes okay all right and uh let's see i mean this is great uh we we might uh let's see merit we have your uh business to mother hustlers do you have any uh like websites pages or anything like that about kidney donation or anything do you have any of that set up yet well we have a lot of shirts um that go along with emily's army love uh loves no distance love knows no distance um and then we did one i think with little kidneys on it so we have like the two mother hustlers group obviously created shirts for emily and it was a give back program because um, we want everybody to support her and lighten the awareness of, you know, kidney donations. And it, it is it is believable that you can find a donor that you don't know out there. Um, things really do happen in weird, mysterious ways. Um, but, yeah, it's two. It's www.twomotherhustlers.com. The number two. We have um, Emily shirts on Etsy. We also have them on our website and then our Facebook group as well. So it's two mother hustlers. Uh, Emily, you should have people follow you on Instagram as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, my Instagram is Emily down slash Aliana, which is A-L-I-A-N-A. All right. And uh, do you just kind of post updates and things like that for people to see how you're doing and how you're progressing and all that sort of thing? Um, not really. It's more of just like a personal thing. Got it. Okay. She shares a lot of theater things, though. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I just uh, want to, you know, uh, I just want to put as much out there as uh, you guys want because, uh, like I said, I know you guys are going to be sharing light and love with anyone who comes in contact. So, uh this has been great, guys. Uh, I hope to uh, publish this soon, and I hope that we can uh, get a lot of people listening in, and I hope we can bring awareness. And uh, if nothing else, then uh, people can find encouragement that there are individuals out there overcoming obstacles and making the, creating their best life every day. So thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It was great to meet you, Emily, and uh, I'll be uh, talking to you guys soon. Thank Thank you. you.